0: But as Christ followers, we all have the same story. And as I was listening, preparing for this, an old hymn came, um, and I was listening to it, and it's Blessed Assurance, but the chorus is, This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long.
1: Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast host. It's Christmas. <laughs> it is December. <laughs> Time is flying. And I love today's story. We have Kelly Daly from Trustful, And I don't know why, I think during the Christmas season, this is really just a sweet mm-hmm. story I don't know. It really touched my heart.
2: Well, it's it's definitely a reminder of God as provider, first of all. You're going to hear that throughout her story. While her story is one of loss, it's also one of just assurance. You heard just at the beginning of the podcast the quote that she talks about, blessed assurance, uh, Jesus is mine, the old hymn, and it's something that she holds on to. And I think it's a beautiful way to kick off, like you said, Robin, the Christmas season. That's right, Katie. And speaking of the Christmas season, we would ask
3: that you keep Storytellers Live Ministry in mind as you prepare and start thinking about year-end giving. You have no idea the difference you can make just by donating to this ministry. Whether that's becoming a monthly ministry partner... $15 a month, $25 a month can make the biggest difference. Or again, as you're looking towards year-end giving, a lot of people give lump sums, and we would ask that you remember us. So go to storytellerslive.org. You can click on the Donate button or simply scroll down right now in our show notes. If you're listening to this, go home, talk to your significant other, and make a plan to give to storytellers. Also, I want to remind everyone, as you are making plans for 2024, now is the time to think about ordering our Bible study. When God shows up, stories of hope and stories of freedom. You will not be sorry. This Bible study, we have gotten so much feedback about it, building community among women and breaking down walls. And so if you're interested in that, again, go to our website or click the link in our show notes. Here's Kelly.
0: Thank you for coming. I see so many faces that I love and have been part of my story. So, um, thank you for being here. I hope as I tell my story that you can hear a couple of themes that will run through that. And one of them is just a community that walked with me through a time of loss. And then I want to start with just how God's providence, that you will see God's providence and direction in my life. And I want to start with a verse, and I think you alluded a little bit to it. It's Deuteronomy 31, um, 1-8, and it's the Lord himself goes before you, and he will never leave you for, nor forsake you. So I think you heard that I love Hallmark movies. There's always a happy ending, and it's predictable. So I love that, and that's why I love to watch them. So I'm going to share a little bit of my own Hallmark movie with you. I met my husband in high school. He was in a senior, and I was a sophomore. And if he were here, he would tell you that. There was a day when we were in high school, and we were in that auditorium. And if you went to high school with us, y'all know that auditorium. And lockers were in that auditorium. And that's where everybody went to change classes and go to their lockers. But for some reason... On this day, we found ourselves in the auditorium by ourselves, and we were just passing through. And he said, he saw me, and he said, I wonder if I'll marry her one day. I know. Isn't that crazy? Well, a year later, I was in a a junior, and he was in junior college trying to make up for some lost time in high school. And he called me, and I was at a best friend's house, and he said, hey, would you go out with me tonight after church? And I said, "Of course, I will." So there started our dating, and we began dating. We dated through my high school year, and I graduated, and he finished his um years at that junior college. We went on to college. He went to Auburn to study building science, and I went to Sanford, which you heard about to study nursing. We continued to date, had a few breakups, but continued to break mostly through college, and then we Found ourselves engaged in April of our senior year, and then from there we went on to get married in February of eighty seven so we found ourselves getting married and we just got married, had a storybook wedding, and then we bought a house in Trussell, just down here on Lake Street, so not too far from here and we started that married life and we began our careers and I worked at a local hospital in Birmingham, and Joey worked for a general contractor in Birmingham. And life was great, right? We were just enjoying those first beautiful years of marriage. Two years into that, we started our family. I became pregnant and was expecting. And we had our first daughter. And then 21 months later, we had a son. And then 18 months later, we had another daughter. So they came very quickly. But it was fun. It was intense. We invested into our children, like I know all of you do if you have children, and whatever they were doing, we were doing. We also found ourselves investing into our local church. We, and I still go to First Baptist Trustful. So we invested there. We taught Sunday school. We led in the children's um, mission groups. And the last thing we did was we taught a young married Sunday school class there. And We loved that. Joey said, you know, these are tough times. You got small children, you're trying to build your career, and it's just really a tough time. And he said, maybe we could walk along beside these people and encourage them. And so we did, and we just loved it. And a verse that he always shared with these young couples was Joshua 1 9, be strong and courageous. And he would just, you know, always encourage, you know, just be strong. And so we would share that with them as we worked with them. Well, as time went on, our children were growing and we found our children in those later years in high school. And I think our oldest was a senior in high school. And, and we were talking about just how you talk about your children often. And he said, What are you going to do when you're, when, you know, the children are grown or all in college or maybe finding themselves those young adult years? What do you think you're going to do? I was like, Well, I, I think I'll just continue to be your wife and invest in the children and what they're doing. And so he said, well, your time, you've spent so much time with them. You know, what do you think you'll do? And I said, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to work. I really hadn't been able to use the master's that I had gotten in nursing. And I thought, maybe I'll go back. I don't know. And so we talked about that. And then time continued on. And the economy was changing a little bit and the construction world was being affected somewhat by that. And Joey work was kind of difficult and he found himself maybe thinking about what am I gonna do, what changes am I gonna make. And so he decided he was thinking about starting his own business. And so with that, you know, we began a conversation of maybe I might go back to nursing. When we had the children so close together, I had quit my career in nursing. It was best for me to stay home. So I decided to stay home. And so as we were beginning to talk about that, maybe I would go back to nursing. I had let my nursing license elapse. So it was not, I didn't have one anymore. And so to go back to get an, a, another degree or to get that degree reinstated, I had to go back and get continuing education hours. To help that get reinstated. So, you know, it's like I, he said, maybe you could teach, and I'm like, I can't teach. I haven't worked as a nurse in so long. I need to get my skills up to date again. But we talked through that. Well, just a, I don't know, sometime later, um, I was standing in the kitchen and I was cooking dinner, and I get a phone call, and on the other end is um, a lady who said, Hey, I'm just checking with our UAB alumni. We want to know, have you gotten your invitation in the mail to the 60th anniversary celebration. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I did or not. I probably threw it away. You know, (laughs) I didn't tell her that. But anyway, I said, I'm not sure. And I said, but I am thinking about, we began our conversation. I said, I'm thinking about maybe starting back in nursing. And, but I've let my nursing license lapse. And I'm wondering if you know where I could go back and get you know, some continuing education hours to help me get this nursing license back. And so she said, Well, you know, I believe as a matter of fact, there's a course being taught and you can call this number and check into it. I think it was between UAB and UAB School of Nursing. So the next day I called and they said, You know, we have one place left and you can only miss three classes and we're on our second Day of class. So I talked to Joey and he said, I think you should do it. That would be great. You know, if I do change, you know, this career and start a business, that would be helpful to us. So I went and started that course. And it was a 12 week course. And at the end, you had more than enough continuing education hours to get your nursing license back. So in the meantime, that invitation comes in the mail to go to this celebration. And I felt like I should go. I felt something telling me, maybe you'll meet somebody there. It was during the week. It was on a weeknight. And this was a time Joey was very tired. He was trying to make this change, lay down one business, possibly start another business. And he was really tired. But he was amazing. And of course, he, he went with me. And it was at the president's house of UAB. So we pull up valet park our car, and we get out, and it's a beautiful home in the hills of Birmingham. And um, we walk inside, and it was not very well attended. And Joey said, I feel like a fly on the wall. And I said, me too. I said, but let's just get something to eat, and let's just look around this house, and then we'll leave and go home. So we were standing there with our little plates of food, and we were eating, just us two in the corner. And these two ladies approach us and we began a conversation and I said, well, you must be former professors. And one said, yes, I am. And the other said, and she introduced herself and she said, I'm so-and-so and and I am the Dean of the School of Nursing. I said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And so we went on to have a conversation. She said, what are you wanting to do? And I said, well, I've been at home with my children. Um, she was a season ahead of me. Her, she had children as well. And I said, I'm thinking I might get back into nursing. So she said, well, if you will email me, I might have something for you. I said, okay. So I get home that night and I email her. And she had said, I will email you back. Sure enough, at 6 a.m. the next morning, I, there's an email waiting on me. And it said, it was great to meet you too. I'm going to put you in contact with somebody. few days later, I get a call from an assistant dean um, and said, hey, um, we would love for you to come talk with us and and just meet us. So I went and met with this person. Her name was Jackie. And she said, I'm going to tour you through the nursing skills lab. And if you're not a nurse, you wonder what that is. That's where nurses go to learn the things that nurses do, like make a bed, give a bath, Give a shot, put in a Foley catheter, learn how to do a physical assessment—all of those things that nurses need to know how to do. And she toured me through. I'm a very aesthetic person. I was in the basement, and I wasn't feeling any warm and cozy feelings, really. But at the same time, I felt like God was opening some doors, and I needed to walk through them. In fact, as we ended the tour, she said, "I'm not really sure why the dean." sent you here. We really don't have anything. And I was okay with that. I was like, okay, whatever. So I leave, I go home. I think about a week later, I get a call and it was from Jackie from this assistant dean. And she said, Hey, we want to offer you on a trial basis, three months, 12 hours a week, a time for you to get to know us and us to get to know you. And I have to tell you, at that time, I had not given anybody a resume, any recommendations. I had not filled out an application. This was just with me meeting the dean at this place where I felt <coughs> God was saying, I really think you should go. You might meet somebody. And so I told the person on the other end of the phone, I said, you know, I feel like God is opening these doors and I need to walk through them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through these doors. So I did and I started in this skills lab and all those skills that I had not used in some 18 years, I got to relearn and refresh and learn aside the students that I was teaching. And I loved it and I loved everybody I worked with and it was wonderful. And I also got introduced to something called simulation, clinical simulation. And that's where we embed... At that time, nurses, but I also worked with other health professionals. I was able to work with um, med students, physical therapy, occupational therapy, dietitians. They would all come to our center to to learn, and you put learners into a simulated clinical environment, and they can practice what they've been learning and reading about. But it's in a safe environment, and they can um, just experience consequences and based on decisions that they have made. It's a really it's a really fun place to work. And I get to pretend all day long. Well, it's just a lot of fun. That's what Joey would say. You're you're just having a lot of fun. The school of nursing was growing, of course. They want to grow. They're always upping their enrollment. They want to grow. And they needed a facelift and they they needed to add on to the school of nursing. They also needed to add on to this this um, simulation lab where I was working. And so I guess this was about six years into to me working, and they said, Hey The position you've been doing, because, you know, I started out 12 hours and that turned into 20 hours and then it was 30 hours. So I was now working really full time, right? We're going to make this a position. And when you work in a big institution like UAB, you know, they have to do things a certain way. So we're going to make this a position and we need you to apply for this position. And I said, okay. But in my mind, I thought, well, I'm going to pray about this and talk to Joey. Do I really, do I want to do this? Am I? Do I want to commit to full-time because I was still considered part-time? At this same time, that was probably in the summer, August of that year, that's when Joey started getting sick. I remember where I was. I was pulling into the parking deck at UAB, and he calls and he said, hey, I feel like I have a sinus infection. I'm going to go to the doctor. That was not, un- not uncommon for Joey to have a sinus infection. He would have one, one to two times a year. And so I said yes. Please go take care of it, so that we can know what's going on and keep keep going in life. That turned into one doctor's visit into probably five. Um, he was in and out of the urgent care. He was in and out of his doctor. He saw a specialist. He had a sleep test done. He was scheduled for sinus surgery. He was coughing, using a lot of cough drops. But if you know Joey, he kept persevering and pushing through and had to work. So that we were kind of paralleling, paralleling that alongside me, trying to decide if I was going to take this job or not. So I remember where I was in the nursing school, in school nursing. I had been praying about it, and I felt like God was telling me that he was closing these doors. And he had opened them so graciously and met so many of our needs as Joey was starting this new business and life was changing for us. And I was scared. I thought, God, I feel like you're closing these doors for me, but it really scares me because I don't know what you have in front of me, but I do know that you have walked beside us in this journey and I'm not here by accident, but for, for some reason, I feel like you're closing the doors. So I let them know that I would be not be applying for this position and that I would be um, quitting at the end of the fall semester, which was like mid-December. And again, Joey's continuing to get s- just sick. We can't figure out what's going on. We've been on so many antibiotics. There's been x-rays, nothing's showing up. And so I go, I have my last day. They send me off with a wonderful party. Um, love my friends. And we get through Christmas and the holidays, but there's that week in between Christmas and New Year's and we still really just were not sure what was going on and cancer really had never crossed our minds until i was sitting with my daughter-in-law and my i think my my daughters and we were watching the crown the very first episode of the crown and i don't know if you've seen it or not but that's when he he has lung cancer and he's coughing and he coughs up blood. And just the night before, Joey had woken up and coughed up blood. He had not at all. So, with this had not, he had not done that yet. But the next morning, he, he showed me a picture. Hey, look what I coughed up in the middle of the night. And it was that exact thing that was on, you know, this movie. And that was the first time I thought he could have cancer. This could be cancer. So December the 30th of 2016, we go to the ER, and I call a friend that I worked with often, an ER physician, and we worked with. We would put the nursing students together, and we still do, and the med students together, and and we had you know just gotten to know each other. So I emailed him or texted him and said, "Hey, are you working in the ER tonight? We're coming in." And he said, "No, I'm not, but I'll let them know you're coming in." So we get there, and we go to UAB West, and there was one person in the waiting room. Can you believe that? One person. That's uncalled. That's just like, that doesn't happen at UAB. But we went to the West, and I knew that, you know, that would be the least um, crowded. And so we go in, and, you know, we get through the triage nurse, and we get back there, and the nurse comes in. And going back just a little bit, a good friend at the School of Nursing that I work with, and we are... Offices were right by each other. She heard my angst every time, every morning I would come in. Like Joey's been up coughing all night, all this, and she was like, "You need to get a chest CT." So, upon Penny's recommendation, my friend, I go back there and we're telling the nurse, you know, this long, you know, what we've been through the past months of fall, um, maybe from August through December, and then, you know, then the the nurse practitioner comes in and we go through the whole story again. And then the doctor comes in and he said, I understand you know Dr. Peterson. Yes, um, he said. And so we tell him the whole story. And, and then he says, you know, I think this is reflux. And I was like, really? Oh, I feel so bad because we went to go see that doctor and we went, started on this medication and I didn't think it was it. So I, we stopped the medication because I said to, you know. And, um, but he said, well, you know, We're going to go ahead and do the test that you've asked for, and maybe he's got some blood clots. But Joey didn't look sick, other than he had this cough. But you know, he just didn't look sick. He had not lost a lot of weight or anything. So they send him off to um, to do the test, and two hours later, um, this ER doctor comes in and he said, "I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but we have found a large mass." in the left lung. There are numerous spots in his liver, and there are multiple blood clots in both lung fields, and we're pretty sure it's cancer. So from there, we had to be, uh, we went to the main hospital and were admitted. I called some really close friends, and they came, and they went and got my one daughter. My oldest daughter was on a trip in the mountains, and my um my son was snow skiing in Colorado, and my youngest daughter was at home. And so these friends went and got her and told her and brought her. And then um, once we got admitted and got into the hospital, that was pretty easy, believe it or not. <laughs> UAB is hard to get into these days, or very low on rooms. You're spending a lot of time in the ER, but we got in a room. We stayed there through New Year's Day, and then we came home, called family, called close friends, called Joey's sister, who walked with us through every bit of this. I could not have done it without her. So um, we came home, and um, they said, you're going to have to come back for a biopsy to confirm whether this is cancer. So we really, we still didn't know whether this was cancer or not, even though they said, we think it is cancer. And so during that time, we went to go see um, a doctor and they set up the biopsy. And I reached out to another friend that I worked with because of what I had done at UAB. He worked, another one that worked alongside the med students and a top pulmonologist. And so We talked on the phone, and he was so encouraging to me and gave me so much hope and said, you know, until we know for sure, we're going to hold on to that. So I was so grateful for that. We went in for the biopsy, and we would know that day whether it was cancer or not. And I was surrounded by family and friends, and we heard the news that it was cancer. And then a good friend and I went back to meet Joey in recovery, and we delivered um, the news to him that it was cancer. So that was especially difficult. We came home. Um, we were in the hospital about three days, and you know, friends came to see me at, from work. Some doctors that I worked with and people that I worked with, nurses that I worked with, came and visited me and Joey and and friends. We were discharged. And then from there, I called another friend. <laughs> you know, friends are good. And this was a friend of, of mine and Joey's boat that we had gone to high school with. He w- went on to become a, a surgeon and also did cancer research. So I called George and I said, George, we've got this diagnosis. And he said, Kelly, until they know the makeup of the tissue that is so important because it will help us know how to treat this. And my main question for him too was like, are we in the right place? Do we need to go somewhere else in the United States to treat this cancer? He told me, "No, nope, stay where you are." And so from there we went to go see the oncologist and the oncologist said, "The first biopsy did not give me enough tissue. I need you to get another biopsy." So we went back into the hospital to have a second biopsy. And that's another fun story, but I don't have time for it. But anyway, God worked through that. There were a friend that was a surgical nurse. She set everything up for us. And we got that second biopsy and we came home. Because she had worked everything out for us, Joey felt incredible. She knew the anesthesiologist. It was great. So for three days, he almost was pain free. It was really great. But we waited for an entire month. And during that month to find out what this tissue was made out of, I watched Joey deteriorate. I mean, he lost weight. He was in excruciating pain. We were on the highest pain medication. We were using patches. We were using pills. He was just in a lot of pain. But we got the call, and the, the doctor's nurse called, who was an angel. And said, we found out what it is and it's good. It is, we're going to be able to treat this with what's called target therapy. So, this medication would target the cells that made up this tissue. Joey's sister came and got us and we went down to UAB to Kirkland Clinic. We met with the doctor and with the pharmacist and we got this little pill and we prayed over it and we took it while we stood right there in Kirkland Clinic. The first one. It would be a pill that Joey would take every morning. And that was a godsend too, because I I wondered like, oh my goodness, I just didn't see him being able to tolerate going in and having infusions and that. So it was just this little pill. We took it every morning. So we took it, the first one there, we got in the car, Joey's sister was driving us home. And he said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I feel like I feel some tingling in my back. And... He had a lot of pain in his right shoulder, even though the cancer was here and it was everywhere. And so he said, I feel some tingling. And as he started taking that medication, it was like peeling back an onion. There was swelling from his feet all the way to his knees. And within three days, every bit of that was gone. And then we started peeling back the pain medication, going from really high dosages. And we just, you know, I was just taking it away. It was great. And he started back to work and life got back to normal. You know, he was just working and I was just doing things and helping him out. In the middle of that, we had our first grandson that was born and Joey got to, to be present for that. And that was amazing. He got to hold little Cooper. So that was, that was really sweet. So I guess July of 2017, Joey started having some headaches. So we went back for another CAT scan, CT scan of the head this time, and they found a, a small spot in his sinuses, and it was cancer. So the cancer had returned. We knew that may happen. We knew this treatment that he was on that cancer is so smart and horrible, and it can mutate and change, and that's what was going on. And so they said that may happen, and, you know, it was, you, know you research and do look, so we started. They, we could start on a different medication. So we did, but it didn't work. So as the time came and he was getting sicker, um, we began making plans. And Joey began meeting with people. We really didn't talk too much about what it would look like if Joey passed. I just didn't sense he really wanted to go there. So we didn't go there. But we were making plans. He was talking to people. We had to change some things financially. And so, again, good friends walked beside us. And we went to the hospital and didn't know if we would come home or not. And so, we get to the hospital and a sweet friend from our small group who was an attorney met with us. And other friends came as witnesses, but we had to change our will, even though we had a will, but we had to change it. And so she worked all weekend making those changes. And then um, we were at the hospital and that was signed and those changes were made. I think we were in the hospital about two weeks. I'm looking at Yo because I know that people came and visited us. People came and sat with Joey while I ran home to get a shower quickly. I didn't leave aside other than if I had to go home to get a shower and people would help me take me home and bring me back or sit with Joey while I did that. Her youngest daughter's birthday was coming up, and I thought this would be a great way to bring our family together, our three children in there, because Joey never liked for attention to be made over him. So I thought, well, our purpose would be to celebrate our youngest daughter's birthday. So I got a cake, I got pizza, and we we were in this hospital room and we celebrated Anna's birthday. But... (laughs) It also was a time for Joey to speak to each child individually. And so they left that night. And we were not on the oncology unit, but through some work, I was like, we need to get on the oncology unit. I knew they would better be able to take care of us because they knew how to best. That's what they did. We got there. We were only there maybe two days. But Joey had a really rough night. You could hear him breathing and rattling. And he was full. You know the nurse and me. I'm like calling. I'm making the orders right. I'm calling respiratory therapy. Like y'all need to come suction him, do deep suctioning, and all this. And been a, a difficult night and a sleepless night. And so the next morning, and the whole time Joey's business is continuing, and our son is doing doing a great job carrying that on and making things continue. But for some reason, I needed to look in his phone for something for the business. And as I'm looking through there, Joey kept everything in his phone. And so as I'm looking through there and trying to find it, I'm looking through the notes, I found a letter he wrote me in June. And I I opened that letter and it said, I knew I loved you the day I saw you walk across that auditorium floor. And I knew that day that Joey would pass. I knew God was telling me to let go of him, but I couldn't do it until I knew that there was nothing left to do. So I call this doctor again. (laughs) I call my good friend, Penny. I can't find Dr. Leon. I've got his phone number. He's not answering. I'm gonna house page him. I said, okay. So he comes in. What do you want me to do? You know, of course, I told him what I needed to be done. And um, he goes out and, and, of course, looks at everything and comes back and he said, I think we need to do this. And I said, okay. As the day progressed, Joey got worse and friends and family came in and our good friend came in and I said, do you think I need to call the children in? He said, yeah, go ahead and call everybody. So he called the children in and we were all around Joey's side and we had friends there and family. And one of the nurses said, I've never been in a room that crowded when somebody passed. But Joey did pass, and we were there, and I was holding his hand. We stood there and just said a sweet prayer and let go. Went home, and I cannot tell you how incredible friends and family were that surrounded us. And my church and my community and that small group that we had served was now serving us and had served us throughout this um, diagnosis. We had the funeral at the church and it was, you know, again, my church community and friends just stepped in for us. It was great. Well, we had the funeral on Friday and then Monday morning rolled around and I was left with three entities. And I describe it that way because these three entities, taxes had to be paid on them. And while Yes, Joey had started this business, and it was a construction business, and I grew up in a family of construction. I knew the language, and so I could talk that language. I could talk to somebody on a job site. I could even go to a job site because I grew up like that, and then I married somebody that did did that too. Business part of it was very difficult i couldn't do. It. The language was language i couldn't even couldn't do. so we had the business and there were jobs that needed to be completed. The business supplied architectural elements to a job, um, mostly iron, some wood, some concrete, but mostly iron. The business was actually in Rimlap. There was a shop with men working at it that depended on a paycheck every two weeks, insurance. And so, and they were so loyal to Joey. I was surrounded by men that I think three that that surrounded me, one that helped with leadership, one that helped with the business part of it, one that helped with the finances. So they just surrounded me as we began to make these decisions. We were mid-job on these jobs, but I wanted to finish these jobs. I felt like Joey would want those jobs finished. So we began working to try to do that. And then somebody that had Worked with Joey. Also pulled up alongside me. He was working with a different company, and he actually was wanting to to start a division in this company. And so they agreed to take on the jobs and diminish the jobs, and that took about three to three three to four years. So I was so grateful for that. So many people that pulled up. The bank was so amazing. People in the banking world were, or that had been in the banking world, a friend pulled up beside me to look at all these documents. I had no idea what they were with all these figures on them. That and then a friend that another banking friend pulled up beside me and would meet with me because I was like, am I going to sell the business? What am I going to do? But he met with me and would pull people in to meet with me. And he was amazing too. Also was left with a plane. Joey was a pilot, and so even though I would have loved to have kept the plane, planes need to be in the air and flying um, if they're going to be working, and I couldn't really afford to keep the plane. So another friend that Joey had talked with, and they were flying buddies, he pulled up beside me and spent his time helping me sell this plane. And then the other one was a building that where the business was, where I... I needed to sell it. I didn't care about selling it. I was like, I want to sell that. That was the last thing that went. The business and the plane, I wanted to keep. It reminded me of Joey. But I was advised not to keep that. I was advised to do what I knew best. Stay in the world of nursing. So I think it took about five years to finally get through everything with again, a community that surrounded me and walked with, with me during this time of loss and helping me make some decisions. So that's where we landed. And that's where we are today. But I as, I as I close and as I finish, I wanted to share with you some things that were helpful to me as I went through this time. Here's some things that helped me um, as I went through this. Um, keeping my circle small people that knew where I was and the decisions that I was making, the business decisions that I was making, they knew where I was in those business decisions and they knew where I was in my grief. And so if I kept my circle small, that helped me without having to tell too much of my story, I guess. And it it helped me with my grief too. So even though I was fine and going out with people, that that was fine. But as far as people knowing what was going on. I tried to keep my circle small. I met with people that looked like and had gone before me. The One of the first persons that reached out to me was a lady named Betty Hastings. And some 15 years before me, she had lost her husband to cancer. And they owned the local drugstore down here in Trustville. And I was so, I remember when I found out he had cancer, I was like, oh my goodness. Not Betty and Don. They had three young daughters. They had this drugstore. But I had watched her through this journey. And so she reached out to me two weeks later. A friend, they were letting me stay at their home. I didn't even go home for an entire month. She reached out to me and she said, I want to take you to, to dinner. So I met with her and I was sobbing in her arms. And she said, Kelly, not many had what we had. She said, You're going to be okay. Your life's going to be full. You're going to have joy, but your heart's going to be forever broken. And I continue to meet with Betty. And my dear friend Denise is here with me. And we picked up Denise because Denise went through what we went through. And I can't tell you how important it is. for just That was so helpful. Somebody that had gone before me. And I liked how she had done life. So I like that. I also found out that grief was manageable if my stress was low. I tried really hard to listen to these people that God had put in my life about business. Even though I may not like the decisions they were telling me to make, I believed God had put them there. And I did find that as I started letting go of things, it really helped my grief. It was important for my mental health that I stayed healthy mentally. That I get my sleep, I met with a counselor because I wanted to be the best person that I could be for my children. Um, so I, I did go see a counselor and just talk with her because I'm again I wanted to be be able to relate to my children. One of my very most favorite verses is Philippians 4 8. It's whatever's true, noble, right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about these things I'm a glass half full kind of person I don't like to be sad I mean but yes I cried I was sad I cried out to God but again i I try very hard to to think about the day and the good things about it what did others do that will help were helpful to me and maybe what could you do as with as you're walking along somebody that is going through a loss, so many people made themselves available to me. Yes, because Joey was this incredible person, and I know they were doing it because of him, and he had invested in their lives, and I think he had asked them. But also because people made themselves available to me, uh, that was just so great. They They were walking with Christ, and they were making themselves available to me. I don't think often if people wonder do they you know do we wonder that people are watching us? I shared Betty's story, and I immediately thought of her when Joey passed, like I like how she's doing life, she's continuing on she still misses Don greatly, but I like how she's doing life. prayer, praying for that person are so wonderful notes. A girl in our small group who now lives in Tupelo, Mississippi, I think that's where she is, still sends me a card. I mean, just out of blue, I'll get this card and she'll, it's just, you know, hey, Kelly, I'm thinking of you. As I went through this, I thought, wow, you know, and think about as people come and how are you doing? I struggled with saying, once I said, how are you doing? You know, it's just a, such an everyday question. And usually we just say, oh, I'm good, I'm fine, or this is going on. But I had, I, had, it was hard. Denise and I have talked about being able to say, I'm okay because I'm not okay. I am very sad. And so I would often say that, you know, thank you for asking. I'm very sad. And so I thought, what kind of question can we ask? Or maybe just like, I know you're very sad or acknowledged where that person is, and I'm so sorry. And I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I think when a friend is hurt or somebody's going through something, we're hurting because we love that person and we want to be there for them. And sometimes I think we do things because it makes us feel better. And it's, it's wonderful, right? I mean, I have so many wonderful things, meals, gift cards to places to eat, prayers, you know, just so many wonderful things. But I just also want to just remind all of us how incredible prayer is. As I know, so many, so many have prayed for me tonight. I'm going to close. I look at Bene- Denise. I look at Pat Reed, who was sitting here. I know that my story is not a new story. Many have gone before me, and many will go after me. And I want to tell you that I believe that we all have a story. My life experiences. Make up my story. And I shared them with you, and you so graciously listened to them. But as Christ followers, we all have the same story. And as I was listening, preparing for this, an old hymn came, um, and I was listening to it, and it's Blessed Assurance. But the chorus is, this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And as Christ followers, we have that. I have hope, I know Joey is healed, and I know that I'll see him again.
2: You know, as I said at the beginning, this was really a story about God as provider, His providence. I wrote down everywhere He showed up, just the call to go to the party, the invite to the party, going to the party and meeting the dean there, then getting the call from the dean and getting the job where she would end up meeting the healthcare workers that she would rely on, you know, when her husband was walking through that cancer. I mean, even things like the feeling that she had not to take the full-time job mm-hmm. as well, and then even, you know, wanting the scan when the doctor said, I think it's acid reflux. I mean, just so many things that layered on to Come alongside of her. You know, she mentioned Deuteronomy thirty-one, eight, where, you know, God does come alongside of us and He does prepare us. And one thing that I was reminded of in her story is being aware of those moments where God has shown up in my past in order to build my faith for the future, to know that He is right there. And that's why I said, I think this is a great story to kick off the Christmas season as we're coming into this, of just sitting in thankfulness of God as Jehovah Jireh being our provider.
1: I think that's what's so important, too, about writing your story, is when you sit down and take the time to write your story, you are writing down these details. Kelly did an excellent job of laying out where God showed up for her minute after minute. You just talked about all of them, Katie. And that's what happens when we sit down, sit with the Lord, and take time, is we're able to see where He's been in our life. My guess is that if she sat with you, you know over lunch, she may not have remembered all those details right. exactly, yeah, but by spending time and preparing uh-huh. for her story, all of that came to life, and it blew me away, one, the way she heard the Lord so clearly, and two the obedience. She just was so peaceful yeah, in exactly. the way she listened and mm-hmm. heard the Lord and loved her family mm-hmm. so well.
3: Well, the Lord's presence in Kelly's life was just so evident as she told the story. And yes, I think, I think going through the exercise of writing her story and remembering those Ebenezer moments where God has showed up, that is so important. But also just the closeness that she had with the Lord. If you are walking daily with the Lord, he will prompt you. He will mm-hmm. lead you. That is the Holy Spirit working inside of you. And he is faithful every single time. And I think it's important because, you know, you all you go through kind of ebbs and flows, mountains and valleys in your spiritual journey. And so pausing like what you're saying, Robin, and looking back so that you can be prepared for him to prompt you, then following up on those promptings. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, j- Kelly's story is truly
2: just a, a story of faith yeah. and, and the faithfulness of the Lord. And, and I did love that she ended with that great hymn, "Blessed Assurance." Mm-hmm. And you know, we linked "Blessed Assurance" actually in our show notes as well. But just a fun fact: Did you guys know that Franny Crosby, who actually wrote that hymn, was blind? And yes. and I never knew that until I was just kind of researching the, the song because it just spoke to me when, when Kelly mentioned it in her story. But I thought... How sweet, you know, that she wrote those words. I would encourage you to go and just read those words and just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you dur- during that. You know, Robin, you bringing up just the importance of stories. It does uh, remind me. You know, next week is our two hundred and fiftieth episode, and we're going to have the Memphis panel that actually um, they met a few months ago. It's mm-hmm. been a few months back, but their panel is so powerful in talking about the importance of your story, sharing your story, and what that does for you. I I cannot wait for you to hear that panel next week and see how God is moving through the power of story and how important it is for you to know your story as well.
1: Well, thank you so much for listening. We've thrown a lot of information out here today and even last week on the podcast if you've been listening. And all of that is on our website. Mm -hmm. So if you want to give, if you want to join Patreon, if you want to buy merch and super cute sweatshirts for Christmas, if you want to buy a Bible study, everything, if you just want to know more about Storytellers and who we are, that is all on our website. And so you can go to storytellerslive.org today. And just dig through. Spend some time and you can see what we look like. (laughs) You You can do all kinds of things on there. And so take a minute today and go check out all that Storytellers Live has to offer. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.